Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. All right, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball off-season roundtable edition, and I'm joined now by Rays broadcasters Andy Freed and Neil Solons, Chris Adams-Wall, of course, here, and uh, the trio back together for the first time since we were making World Series predictions, and First of all, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Happy holidays to you and yours. We are here to talk about one thing, and one thing not only, but it's the first topic of conversation, and it is the big trade that the Rays made with the L.A. Dodgers. The Rays end up getting Ryan Pepio, a right-handed pitcher, and Johnny DeLuca, an outfielder from the Dodgers in exchange for Tyler Glass now, Manuel Marco, and some cash considerations. So, Andy, I will begin with you. This is obviously the biggest deal that the Rays have made so far here in the 2023-24 offseason as we approach 2024. What were your thoughts initially, and and what are your thoughts now on that deal? Not a surprise uh, in in any way. If you look at the highest-paid pitcher and the highest-paid position player, chances are they're probably going to be dealt and that's the way the rays operate there's no real surprise there that's how they turn this thing and you know it to people and i under, well, believe me i really understand the you know it's hard to to trade players that you develop an emotional attachment to um at the same time though if the two options are you either tear it down every few years and do what i don't know the orioles have done or the astros did or the cubs did or whatever uh, and have several consecutive lousy years where you're just a punching bag within the American League East to hope to get good draft picks, to hope to come back and challenge. It's either that or you trade guys perhaps a year earlier than you might like to get something, not only something back, but something impactful back. I mean, even the two guys at the Rays just got, Pepio can slide into glass now spot and, Mar- and DeLuca, Slides into Margot's spot. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how cleanly it's going to work out, but uh, at least from, uh, at this point, an outsider standpoint, and you know, we haven't gotten to spring training yet, uh, that to me seems like a, a natural trade. Um, but, yeah, we'll miss Margot and we'll miss uh, Glass now, but we'll make new memories with Pepio and DeLuca, hopefully. What do you think, Neil? I mean, to expand on that, I, I think a couple things. I think... One, I agree with Andy. This should be about as unsurprising a move as any um, in terms of what the race did to begin the offseason. And I think beyond that, to expand also on what Andy said, if the race could have certainly kept the group together and could have said, we'll take them all to free agency. But then if they did that, how are they backfilling that going forward? Take a look at the market now. Seth Lugo is signing three years and $45 million dollars. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is getting three years and 42 with an option for a fourth. Both guys well into their 30s now. So you look at the open market, the Rays can't work that way overall. So the best way for them to get talent back, because you need talent via trades, free agency, uh, talent for agency, trades for agency, and your drafts and your international signings. But the only way to get talent to compete for a division, to compete for a playoff spot is to trade guys before they go to free agency. The only guy that the Rays since what Carl Crawford, Alex Cobb is the only significant player the Rays have allowed to go 
to free agency. And the reason is, is because to keep a pipeline of talent, you need to make trades. And and this seemed to me to be a, a pretty reasonable deal, especially when you consider Glasnow got, what, an extension, again, into his mid-30s at nearly $30 million a year. You're not going to find that on the open market. So the best way to get talent is to trade talent. And it's difficult, sure, but um, we had several good years at Tyler and Manuel, and I'm going to remember all the positives they brought. And and remember, Tyler was brought in because of a trade. Chris Archer was, that was the Chris Archer trade. People love Chris Archer. They grew to love Tyler Glass now. And I hope they look, uh, learn to really enjoy and love Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. And one thing to mention too, and Mark Topkin wrote about it, this is still part of the trade tree of Delman Young. If you go back to 2007, you know, this is a constant returning of the roster to get the Rays good. You know, this is not a sell-off to to sink to the bottom and hope to get a good draft pick. That's not at all what this is. This is to keep the team good. Yes. And every year we go through this, we've been conditioned at this point uh, when guys get traded. It's not, you know, a truly salary dump. They're just tearing it down. None of that is going on right here. The Rays are still going to be a good team. I don't know if they'll win 99 games. I don't know if they'll win 90. I don't know if they'll win 100. But the, the effort is to keep the team good and to keep churning it over. And I can understand from a fan standpoint that it's difficult to go through. But I would also add this. Every team is going through stuff like this. These days have been for a while. When you focus on just one team like the Rays, it's very easy to fall into that trope of saying, well, they're just dumping salary and that's it. They're jumping ship. That's not at all what's happening. Every team is losing guys to free agency and the Rays can't do that. They've got to get something back for these guys. While they still and have and if they were dumping salaries, they'd be trading for low A guys, rookie league players for established guys. They are getting guys who they feel can help them in 24, but also 25, 26, 27, 28. And that's exactly what Rays president Eric Neander said on the phone call that I had with him on Saturday. This isn't just to keep the Rays competitive next year. It's to keep the Rays competitive for next year and beyond. And also, I don't think you can call it a salary dump when the Rays are paying the Dodgers some money in this deal with uh, Tyler Glass now and Manuel Margot. But let's talk a little bit more about Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. Like Eric Neander talked about, like we have talked about so far on this podcast, you lose a right-handed starting pitcher, but you gain one. You lose an outfielder who can play a little bit of center and is comfortable in the corners, and you gain one. So it's almost like a one-for-one -one swap. Now, obviously, we don't know what Ryan Pepio is going to be. Is he going to be better than Tyler Glass now? Well, maybe not right away, but he's a lot younger than Tyler Glass now. What do we know about Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca? We know that DeLuca is a, is a pretty versatile outfielder. He's very athletic, according to uh, Eric Neander. And Ryan Pepio apparently has a devastating changeup, a uh, pretty good three-pitch mix from what I understand. But uh, what, what can Rays fans expect from these guys who have only had a, a handful, I think we can say that, of appearances at the major league level so far? Well, at this point, to me, that's kind of what spring training is going to be for this year, is to learn about these guys. I mean, I know what I've read on, on paper, uh, and I know what these you know public scouting reports say in Baseball America or wherever, uh, but we really won't know a whole lot about them until we see them. I mean, we it, it's almost like when we've heard about 
young players with the Rays and you hear and you talk to scouts and you talk to coaches that have seen him and managers, but you really don't know until you see him in person. It sounds to me like Pepio is a guy that could be right there in the starting rotation from the very beginning, and it starts not even to round out the rotation, but it starts to, to move it forward. Uh, and he's younger, and he's under team control through 28. I mean, we like to, 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 to not think about things in terms of contracts, but that's just, that's just the way it is. The guy's under team control for a while. He, has a, he was about to be in the Dodger rotation. And look, they needed pitching too, by the way. Uh, and to, to, yeah, he's got a good changeup. It sounds good, but we won't really know until, until we see them a little bit more in spring training and hear about the evaluation. And, and we always hear about how Kyle Snyder has such good effect on these guys and the Rays pitching uh, uh, machine, as it, as it seems to be, uh, that they find what works best for certain players and, and just expand upon that and double and triple or quadruple down on it. DeLuca, it's, again, from what we've read, sounds like he not only has occasional power, but a really good contact rate, which is exciting. Uh, I, I love guys that just put the ball in play and can run. And I think the Rays really needed, and still probably do, need some help defensively in the outfield. Uh, and it sounds like DeLuca is one of those guys, Neil, that, that is really good defensively. And we need that. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting uh, excited to just get to meet them, to get to know them, as, as you mentioned at the top. Um, and more than that, I'm, I'm excited to see what our coaching staff does with them. Kyle Snyder obviously has a tremendous reputation that stands on its own. But I think Chad Matola's done a really good job with young hitters, too. I mean, you look at guys like from Randy Rosarena to Isak Paredes and on and on, guys who came in from outside organizations who have flourished here. And I think the one thing that both guys will get is opportunity and a runway. And, and hopefully more than that, in spring training, they gain a comfort level. Sometimes it takes a little while. Luke Rayleigh, it took a year before he got comfortable here. And he was in the Dodgers organization. Some guys, it happens right away. Uh, but I know that the Rays will do everything in their power to create a comfort level, uh, to coach them up, um, and to get the most out of them. And I'm excited for what that brings. Let's talk about what the Rays' starting rotation might look like, guys. Because, yeah, Ryan Pepio, he might be one of their starters. But they do have a ton of depth going forward, at least for the first half of this season. And then we'll see what happens with Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen, obviously. But you got to believe that Zach Eflin is going to be the opening day starter. The number two playoff starter this year, he started game two against the Texas Rangers after Tyler Glass now went game one. We have Aaron Savali still on the team, who the Rays acquired in the middle of last year from Cleveland. Then maybe Pepio. Let's not forget Zach Littell and how invaluable he was to the Rays last year. A guy who started the year in the Texas Rangers organization, then went to Boston, then suddenly ends up with the Rays. And for a little while there, looked like that he might be sent back to the waiver wire. That didn't happen, obviously. The Rays transformed him into a starting pitcher. He pitched really well. Taj Bradley, of course. Shane Boz is coming back. And... We can't forget Tyler Alexander, kind of a swingman guy from the Detroit Tigers, who the Rays have acquired. And then Chris Davinsky, who Eric Neander has said time and time again now that the Rays might stretch him out a little bit this upcoming year. And they've obviously re-signed him to a, a one-year contract with an option for 2025. But, uh, I mean, there are a lot of options, Andy, for the Rays rotation, at least at the beginning of the season. I mean, Eflin is the rock. Uh, that that's the guy around which all of this is based, and after that, I, I 
I see questions only in the respect of can these guys that you mentioned rise to another level? Uh, can Taj Bradley evolve? Can Shane Boz come back from injury? I mean, th this is a long time without appearing on the mound uh, for Boz to come back. And again, I, I don't know what their plan is, if they're going to bring him along slowly or if he's just full bore. I know I've heard it said that he's full go, ready to go. But let's face it, there's going to be innings limits for a guy coming off Tommy John. Um, Savali had some moments for the race, but he was better with Cleveland uh, than he was with the race. He did have a couple of good starts for the race, but overall... Uh, probably wasn't as impactful the Rays would have hoped, although he might have started game three had there been one against the Rangers. Who knows? We'll never know. Um, but to me, I, I need to see some evolution from these guys. Zach Littell was just a staff saver last year. I mean, it, Yandy Diaz was the most valuable Ray, hands down, but I don't think there was anyone actually more valuable. Uh, where in the world would the Rays' rotation have been without Zach Littell? And not only the fact that he pitched well, but he went deep into games too, and was very, very good with regard to pitch efficiency. So uh, there, there's plenty of questions, I think, going into spring training. And then I think you're going to see the race sign a lot of guys to minor league deals. They need probably more depth, I think, at the upper levels of the minor leagues, pitching-wise. And I say that, Neil, you know this, too. You end up using a lot of these guys by the time the season ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably another name that you could throw into the mix is Jacob Lopez as a, you know, a bulk guy to um, probably even more so than Davinsky. I would think that, that Davinsky was signed to be a multi-inning guy, um, you know, you know, like Sean Armstrong. Um, and look, Armstrong, they could stretch out too. I mean, they, they certainly have options. Uh, but I would also think that because of they, they uh, you know, were able to trade Tyler Glasnow and Manuel Margot, I wouldn't be shocked to see them add another arm either via trade or free agency before it's all said and done. Maybe someone who gives them... Um, a little more predictability because what they lost, you know, a little more certainty maybe in terms of, oh, you think this guy can give you 150 to 170 innings somewhere in that neighborhood. So you take pressure off Bradley, you take pressure off uh, Shane Boz, um, you take pressure off some of your young pitchers and allow them to continue to grow and develop. Uh, to me, you know, obviously the names Eflin, you know, Savali, Littell, uh, probably, uh, you know, Bradley and, and, you know, and I think another arm or probably your five is, is my guess. Um, you know, that can change. Um, but I would expect that we're not done. We're only talking mid-December. There's a long way. There's two months before spring training. You know, this is to me just a snapshot. And when we get to spring training, then it's okay. What did we look like at the end of the season? And now what do we look like now? And how does it compare to the rest of the league? Neil, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask both of you, do you think the Rays are done dealing, A, and B? What are the needs that you two see uh, that, that the, where the Rays could upgrade with a trade or a free agent signing? More pitching. <laughs> I think they need – I really do. I think they need is uh, a lot of warm bodies in there, guys that can get players out, especially with – innings limits on, on various pitchers. And, and again, I want to remind people that are listening, it's not just the Rays that think like this. It's just about every team at this point. Uh, I think we really do, and I'm guilty of it as anybody, tend to get focused on just what the Rays are doing. But uh, I think more pitching, and I, I would like to see the outfield defense get get better somehow. Uh, I think that DeLuca signing really does help from what I understand that he's really good defensively. But to me, the years where the Rays were at their best is when their outfield was really, really good at cutting off 
balls in the gaps and chasing balls down. I think they need to have a guy in center field that you feel comfortable when Siri isn't playing. Um, you know, with the Rays rolled a lot of guys out there, whether it be Josh Lowe or LeGrand or Margot out there in center field. But there did seem to be defensively uh, somewhat of a significant gap when Siri wasn't in there just from the defensive side. So I'd like to see some sort of uh, better fortification of center field uh, and, and right field as well, for that matter. But uh, that and, and, and I'm curious to see what they're interested in, in bringing on positionally. I mean, are we are we happy with the catching setup? I mean, Pinto certainly made some strides last year, but I'm not sure that that's the way they're going to go this year. A lot of it's still a question mark. Like Neil was saying, it's mid-December and we've been through this before. They're they're just getting started. I think a couple things. For me, it focuses on run prevention. And Kevin Cash always said he'd rather have more pitching than less. So I would always agree with the manager in that regard because he's you know, been the best in it to me, for me, he's been the best in the game for several years running now. And if, if more pitching is always good for him, it's always good for me too. Um, and run prevention is catching. Look, the Rays have lost two veteran catchers in Kristen Bethencourt and Francisco Mejia. And while I think they're comfortable with Renee Pinto and Alex Jackson, I wouldn't be shocked to see them add. Um, and then I agree with Andy, like, we don't know enough about Johnny DeLuca. Maybe our front office does and feels comfortable that he is your backup center fielder. And if he is and he performs that way, great. But again, it's it's to me, it's similar to when you had Kevin Kiermaier, when there wasn't that, when there was a massive drop-off between him and when he got hurt, that's not how you want to function run prevention-wise. And a lot of this also will depend on on some of the, Andy mentioned at the top, the, non, the, the minor league roster signs. The race, in essence, will have, what, four three or four 40 man spots open when you can add guys to the roster um, after spring training begins, because Springs will be on the 60 Rasmussen will be on the 60 McClanahan will be on the 60 those for sure. And then we don't know what's going to happen with the wander situation, which, which obviously, you know, will also maybe give you even a fourth spot on the roster. So depending how all that plays out, will probably determine what you do. And speaking of, you know, not knowing that, not knowing you, you think Taylor Wells will be ready for opening day. You're not 100% sure. Do the Rays add another utility player? Maybe like an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's out there as a free agent, who can play shortstop and center field and maybe fill some gaps. Or maybe you feel there's not a need because you got Johnny DeLuca. But I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rays find some way of adding some more versatility from a position player standpoint, especially guys who can help defensively. Speaking personally, I'm not going to be upset if the Rays decide to sign somebody with a hyphenated last name. So we'll, we'll hope for that. And of course, Neil, you mentioned that Kevin Kiermeyer is still a free agent out there at the time of this recording. Let's talk about what else has happened in the American League East. Probably the most significant addition has been Juan Soto going to the New York Yankees. And you could sprinkle in a little Alex Verdugo going from the Red Sox to the Yankees as well. Now, obviously, you still have to play the games, right? I think that's what the legendary Dick Stockton used to say. That's why you play the games, right? <laughs> Just because the Yankees got Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they are going to win the American League East. They still have a lot of problems. But what did both of you make of the Yankees acquiring both of those outfielders in Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo? Well, first of all, I love how you carry the torch for hyphenated names. I mean, I, we really need to go out and sign Austin Bibbins Dirks and John Ford Griffin uh, before this spring training is just to have them 
on the roster. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We need to come up with a list, by the way, of all the hyphenated names. Wait a minute, you probably know it, Chris. I know you, Chris. You probably know all the hyphenated names of baseball. Aaron Goldsmith told me that there have apparently only been five hyphenated uh, last name <laughs> players in big league history. So I think it's D. Strange. Gordon is another one. Christian Encarnacion. <laughs> Strand, now with the Cincinnati Reds. So, uh, yeah, and... and uh, Ryan Roland Smith, I believe, is the is the fifth one. So I think we have them all covered now. That's a good one. That's a very good one. That's fantastic. We need to have that listed in our in our booth somewhere. But um, look, I, I, the Soto deal is great for the Yankees. Let's not forget though how important Michael King was. Their rotation was. They had a lot of questions of guys, whether it be because of Domingo Herman or for Luis Severino or you know after Garrett Cole, there was a lot of question marks in that rotation. So Michael King was almost like a Zach Littell for them. You know, coming off injury, he he pitched very well for them, so they lose that. So they're probably going to go out and sign more more pitching. I, I caution Rays fans, we're never going to quote-unquote win the winter, uh, at least in public opinion. You're never going to hear the Rays uh, completely lauded, whether it be on Twitter or MLB Network or whatever, for all the things that they did in the winter. And yet they go out and and have winning seasons again. So don't don't... Don't worry about the hype. Uh, but I do think that the Yankees still have lots of moves to make if they're going to be a team. Remember, that's a team that went 82 and 80, and they had to get hot to stay above 500. Uh, so that's a team that has lots to fill. And even with Soto, all right, so you've got Judge and Soto, and who else scares you in that lineup? Not many to me. Uh, they're a very pitchable lineup. So we'll see what they end up doing. They'll make some splashy moves, and we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. But the Red Sox have plenty of things to, to do as well. And, the, the team that, to me that is just still lurking is the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, at some point, I think that thing is going to take off, but they just, you know, they remind me of the Blue Jays a little bit. I'm going to have to remember the early 80s after they, uh, you know, they were the expansion team and then they had a bunch of good players coming. Every year I was predicting they would be the ones to win the East, and they just never did until they pushed it over the top. So the fact that they were willing to make a competitive offer for Otani means that they've got plenty in the coffers. Uh, to offer somebody. So I think they'll make some splashy moves. They're kind of, you know, the Blue Jays are almost at the end of what could be considered a run. You know, when when you look at where Guerrero and Bichette are uh, in, their, in, in their evolution, I don't know how much longer they're going to hold on to both of those unless they just totally break the bank, probably for both. Uh, and they really haven't accomplished anything uh, in terms of postseason. Uh, so, you know, and then there's the Orioles that, you know, look, the Orioles are good. They're getting better. I've complete respect for them but a lot of things went right for them last year too and with young players there's always that roller coaster factor so we'll see right now i see a very competitive division i see the rays right in the mix as of right now here in mid-december yeah for me the orioles are still the team to watch because they won the division um they added kimbrell which i gives it gives them a veteran in their uh in their bullpen i wouldn't be shocked to see them still add a veteran starter um, you know, Marcus Stroman is still out there and they have the ability because they have such so many guys under control before arbitration that they have the ability to go out and spend multi years on a starter if they so desire. So I'm curious if one falls to them that really can have an impact because the last couple of years they've had Jordan Lyles and Kyle Gibson and they've been magnificent for them. Um, and they've not only helped front the rotation, but they've added some some veteran leadership. You know, they they added you know, last year. They had an Adam Frazier who replaced Rukmet Odor. This year, they may not have a, a, 
a veteran position player. It's going to be on the guys who are there to continue to grow. And I think they're kind of ready the way Rushman has come along. Boston, I'm still trying to figure out what they're what they're trying to accomplish. You know, they Tyler O'Neill replaces Alex Verdugo and they became very right handed. I think for me, the Yankees became um, more balanced offensively, but probably worse off defensively because Aaron Judge is a good center fielder, but the chance of him staying healthy playing every day in center field decreased significantly when he's playing that versus a corner, especially playing into his 30s. And I think there are a lot of people in New York who've had the same concern. So to me, you want to keep your big horses healthy. And I thought getting Verdugo and Soto was a little surprising just because it almost pushed Aaron Judge to be an everyday center fielder. I thought that was – they got Trent Grisham too – and he can help and give guys days off, but that's he's become your fourth outfielder. He's not a starting outfielder. So I'm kind of curious what direction they're they're taking that. And I agree 100% with Andy. Not only did they lose King, they lost Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez. They lost a do- lot of depth in the road in the in the pitching area, especially in the length area. So they still have some work to do. There are a lot of free agents out there, and we're a long way from being done. I'm curious what this looks like on February 15th. February 18th versus, let's say, December 18th. One thing to keep in mind with the Baltimore Orioles is that uh, philosophically, they have been against signing guys to really big blockbuster deals after getting burned by Chris Davis, after getting burned by Albert Bell. This is all the same ownership. After getting burned by Mark Trumbo. A lot of these ones that they held on to did not work out well. If you notice, the Orioles have not signed a lot of major deals in quite a while. I would think Alex Cobb, too. Alex Cobb is another great one to bring up. So, I mean, to me, the one that I hope he doesn't go to the Orioles because it would be such a great fit is Blake Snell. To me, a, a good left-hander in that ballpark, man. That, 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 that to me is the, the guy that if I were the Orioles, I would be focusing on. To me, I'd load up with as much left-hand pitching as possible and use that giant wall in left field. To me, that's become almost the opposite of, of Yankee Stadium and right, uh, where that, that ballpark... It, when the Rays went there, even late in the year, it all but nullifies the power bats of Paredes and a Rosarena. They just and and all right-hand batters around the league. Uh, you 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 really limit the amount of right-handed power for the other teams. So I'd be I'd be really uh, I'd be really disappointed if they get Snell because he's out there to me. He's a he's a big one just waiting to be plucked. And going back to the Yankees real quick, I mean, Juan Soto, he might just be there for a year, guys. If this thing goes south, maybe he doesn't enjoy his time in the Bronx, then all of a sudden he's back with a a different team going into 2025. So that's just something to keep our eye on. Finally, I think we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the Shohei Otani contract. Thank goodness he wasn't on that private jet to Toronto, right? I think we can all agree that's a great thing that he's not only not in our division, but he's also in the National League. Uh, Andy, you ever deferred $68 million over the course of uh, a year? I was trying to think if I've made anything close to that for my entire life. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and nor, nor will I, nor many of us. But, you know, it, that clearly, it, when we were playing the Dodgers in May, I remember we were talking about that they would be the, the team that, we all think of Tony's going to end up with, and he did uh, so good. But it's a lot of money for a DH. I mean, it basically is what he is uh, at this point. I don't know if he's going to play in the outfield. Uh, it sounds like Mookie Betts is moving to second base. 
So maybe that's in part to, to help clear some room for him to play in the outfield a little bit. He's not going to be pitching this year. What kind of pitcher will he be after a second arm surgery? Um, so there, there's to me, there's plenty of factors. He only bets once a game. Uh, or only bets uh, one time through the lineup. But it's a heck of a lineup that they put together there. But uh, albeit a little bit top-heavy. But look, the Dodgers will be good. They should be good. I'd be b- more bummed out if I were the Giants or, or uh, you know, any of the other teams. The Padres. You know, the Padres flamed out a little bit. And the Diamondbacks seem to be on the run with, uh, with, with all sorts of good starting pitching right now. But can they hit enough? And the Rockies, you, you know, it reminds me of when you're rebuilding in the American League East. You, you're just going to get bum-rust and end up in the cellar. And the Giants hardly ever seem to get anybody big anymore. But, uh, Neil, I'm curious your thoughts as well. Otani's great, and it's just boy, oh, boy. That's a very interesting contract. You had lots of uh, thoughts when you and I were texting about it. I don't know if you want to touch yeah. on them here or not, but I thought it was really interesting and eye-opening. Uh, about the deferred money. Yeah, I, I will say that, um, A, if he went to Toronto, I would not have been so bummed out about it, only because he wasn't going to pitch this year. Um, and because I think that it might have hamstrung Toronto down the line a little bit, mm. and especially if they couldn't sign Bichette or, or Guerrero long-term, which it seems fairly likely it's going to be difficult for them to do. Um, I, From a player standpoint, I don't like all the deferred money. Um, I think it sets a bad precedent um, because it – it could hamstring for me. I think it devalues the contract. And I think like the amount of money that should be deferred. And I know it's been done in, in past years with many contracts, including Bobby Bonilla. And even well before that, I think Bruce Sutter was one that that was had a lot of money deferred. But I think when you go above 50 percent and this was like 90 some percent, I think it's a bad precedent. And it it it, it basically it's monopoly money because it devalues what the player is getting. And, and maybe it prevents players from getting money down the line. I mean, the, I guess what, starting in 26, the Dodgers basically have to have $46 million a year set aside. Now, now at that point, did they go out and say, oh, we can't sign this player because we have 40, you know, because of this 46 million that we're holding on to and it affects future teams. They can say all they want that, you know, they're going to spend all the money. But I, I, again, I, I think it's, there's going to be some player that's going to be penalized by it down the line and we don't know who it is. And, I hope the Players Association realizes that and kind of changes that level of the contracts going forward. Well, if only we had $700 million to play around with, I'm sure uh, the, the audio quality would be just uh, pristine for, for these podcasts going forward. Not that they aren't already, uh, but thank you guys so much for joining me today on this roundtable. I, I had fun. And uh, hopefully you did too. And and happy holidays to both you, Andy Freed, and to you, Neil Solon. As you pointed out in your holiday greeting, a festivus for the rest of us. That's probably my favorite holiday of the year. (laughs) Same to all our listeners. And as I said, uh, we're going to start counting down right after the new year to the beginning of spring training. And we're all looking forward to it. Maybe we'll have a podcast for the, uh, the, annual airing of grievances as well. But uh, for now, I'm, I'm Chris Adams Wall and for Andy Freed and Neil Solons. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We will talk to you again soon. Happy holidays and happy new year. Okay.